0: If not, I invite you to turn with me to the 11th chapter of the book of John. John, chapter 11. I have good news and I have bad news for those who like short sermons. The good news is that one of our key verses this morning is the shortest verses in the scriptures. Verse thirty-five. The bad news is, is that we're going to read forty-six verses to get there, so y'all will have to bear with me here in John chapter eleven. The scriptures read: Now a certain man was sick, named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore, his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And when he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode or he stayed two days still in the same place where he was. Then after that, saith he to his disciples, Let us go into Judea again. And his disciples say unto him, Master, the Jews of late have sought to stone thee, and goest thou thither again? Jesus answered, and he said, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not, because he seeth the light of this world. But if a man walk in the night, he stumbleth, because there is no light in him. These things said he, And after that, he saith unto him, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may awake him out of sleep. Then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. Howbeit Jesus spake of his death, but they thought that he had spoken of taking of rest and sleep. Let me stop just there to to clarify a few things that we've read in the scriptures so far. We have read that Jesus has learned someone has been sent to Him and has told Him that His friend Lazarus, the brother of Mary and Martha, that He loves this family and has loved them very much that his their brother is sick that Lazarus is sick even unto death and Jesus heard this and uh, no doubt he is moved in his spirit towards them out of of a love and out of a compassion towards them we see in verse 5 that John writes that now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus but he still waited for two days before he began the journey to reach them in Bethany. Now, in doing so, we see that He did give some sort of message for that messenger to return with. We see in verse 4 where He says that this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, the Son of God might be glorified thereby. We see that Jesus is telling the messenger to return to Mary and Martha that there is some purpose to this sickness, that Lazarus being sick even unto death is that it might be to the glory of God. And then there is something there that's been said that it is not unto death that Lazarus indeed would not be dead as we would know it, but instead that he would be alive. A little foreshadowing. As we look ahead to the miracle that Jesus wrought here in the 11th chapter of the book of John. So he says to his disciples, let us go into Judea again. And his disciples say, you know, listen, Master, we, we've seen how the Jews have been seeking for a way that they might take hold of you and to stone you or to, to kill you. Are, are you sure that we should be going again into Judea? And Jesus answers, and he answers in a type of a parable as it would be, or some lesson when he says that, are there not 12 hours in the day? He said, you know, if there's daylight and if there's darkness, then we who would walk in the day would be able to do so with the clear direction of what lies in front of us, but that those who walk in the night, they stumble because there's no light in them. He's saying, I know that there is a trouble that would await me, but I know the direction because of what's been illuminated in front of me. He's making a, a parable to say, you are right, there is danger in Judea, that there is those who await to stone me, and indeed, he would go to Jerusalem and be crucified Here, from, from this point forward. He says, yet, nevertheless, I go knowing what awaits me. There is a good lesson for us to take even in that. That we would walk in the day that we would walk by the light of the Lord. That He would be the one who illuminates our path and directs our steps. That we would not walk in the night. For surely when we do, when we try to get out and to chart our own course and to make our own path. And the Lord has not illuminated our path. His word is not that light to our path that the psalmist writes about. That surely we know that we stumble. And so Jesus is making a reference here. and He's saying, but there is a light and I know what awaits me. And he says, our friend Lazarus is asleep, but I go that I might awake him out of his sleep. Now his disciples hear this and they say, well, that's a good thing. Lazarus must be getting healthy, sleeping, and that's going to be provided to him for rest. And and they see this as a, a very favorable thing. They didn't realize that Jesus was talking about Lazarus having died. And so... I want to note a couple of things here. Is that Jesus had waited two days from the time that the messenger had told him that, that Lazarus was sick until the time that they left. And there are different scholars who, who would argue about what uh, what point Lazarus died. But I, I seem to, to consider, at least in my own point of view, that it was in this time when Jesus said now that Lazarus was asleep, that, that Lazarus had not died when the messenger came to Jesus, but here two days later, when Jesus left to go. Now, when Jesus leaves to go to Jerusalem, let me get to that thought in a second. Let's, let's keep reading. Because verse 14 says, Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And he says, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there to the intent that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. Then said Thomas, which is called Didymus, excuse me, Didymus, unto his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. And so we see that Jesus finally says plainly, Lazarus is not asleep, but he has in fact died. And he says, let us go unto him. And Thomas says to the other disciples, let us go that we may die with him. Now some have questioned what Thomas meant when he said that we may go and die with him. Some have said that, he, that the disciples also had a love for Lazarus and so they wanted to go and be there. But uh, others will say that it was because of the danger that awaited Christ in Judea. And so Thomas was referring to let us go, that, that if this danger would come upon Jesus, that it would come upon us too. Whatever uh, the thought would be there from Thomas, the point is, is that Jesus plainly says that Lazarus Is dead. And he says, let us go. Now, Jesus had some other things to do on this journey. You see, as he journeyed, there was a couple of things that happened, specifically as they got near unto Jericho. In fact, if you read over in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you'll find that uh, as he was nearing unto Jericho on his journey into uh, Bethany, into Judea, that he encountered two people that were blind. We're told the name of one of those blind men that it was Bartimaeus. We're told that Jesus healed their blindness and that He gave them their sight. But not only so, we're told about an encounter with a a short man of stature that climbed up into a sycamore tree and that he might be able to see Jesus. And that Jesus, though He was going to Bethany after having heard about His friend Lazarus that had died, that He stopped and He took the time for this short little man who had climbed up In a tree. It seemed as if Jesus wasn't in a big hurry to get to Bethany. Now, some would question that, and many have questioned that, and said, Why was Jesus not going faster to get unto Bethany? But clearly, we see the benefit to these men who received their sight and to Zacchaeus, who uh, we see having been saved that day. And so we would look, we'd say, There were good things happening even as Jesus tarried. Jesus told us the purpose of all of this. (laughs) Did you catch it? The first purpose that he gives to us is in verse 4, that this sickness is not unto death, but it is for the glory of God. That we would provide a miracle that would be of such impact that yes, it would be the cause that would spur ultimately his crucifixion as it would become uh, such a blasphemous and controversial and scandalous charge against him that would lead to his arrest. But nevertheless, he knew that in doing so, that it would provide this great example and miracle that indeed this is the Son of God that many would believe. And so we see first that it was to the glory of God. But not only so, we see what he told the disciples in verse 15. He said, I am glad for your sakes that I was not there. He said, to the intent that you may believe, nevertheless, let us go unto him part of the cause of Jesus' delay was that He might increase the faith of His disciples. Now, I know that there has been a lot that has been remarked and said about this account. There's a song that we sing sometimes about even when Jesus is four days late, that He's still on time. And we remark about the timing of our Lord and and how God's timing is His timing and we have to be patient and we have to wait on the Lord. And, And all of that is very true. But I think oftentimes what happens when we're considering that we are trying to help our patience that we be looking for the outcome. And what we fail to realize is that patience that we are made to endure for a season, that it too has a purpose. That it's not just that we might learn patience or that we might be able to have that outcome in God's time, but that our faithfulness will be tested and tried and be made to increase that our unbelief, when it is put to the test of having to endure some long season of waiting for the answer of the Lord, wondering when His answer will come, that our faithfulness would grow. That's what Jesus told His disciples. He said, yes, it is that this miracle might be wrought to the glory of God, but it is also that your faith might increase. You see, the disciples... They had seen Jesus do a lot of things, hadn't they? They had seen Jesus give sight to those that were blind. They had seen lame men made to get up and to walk. They had seen Him walk on water. They had seen the miracle of the fishes and the bread. They had been told to let down their nets after a night of catching nothing and brought up more than their boat could handle. They had seen all these miracles of the Lord. Yet there was still more growing to do in their faith. And Jesus said, I have tarried. He said, I'm glad that I wasn't there. He said, for me, curing this man of his illness, you have already witnessed that. And it would have probably been a no great thing. I want you to consider that for a second in your life. The things that you have seen God wrought, the miracles, the things that God has performed that you are left rejoicing knowing that what has happened could have only been done by the hand of God. And in so doing, your faith is made to increase And yet you're taken or put to the next test. You are found in the next valley. You are going through some trial even right now. And those things that you have seen God do time and time again, yes, they have brought you to the place of faith that you have right now. But in the midst of that valley, in the midst of that darkness, in the midst of that storm, oftentimes all of those things that have been wrought to bring your faithfulness to where it is right now, you are still left wondering and maybe even questioning. God, where are you? And we're going to see some of that that transpires here with Lazarus' sisters as we keep reading. Verse 17 So then, when Jesus came, he found that he had lain in the grave four days already. So, by the time that Jesus gets there, Lazarus has been dead for four days and has been in the grave for four days. It says now Bethany was nigh; it was near unto Jerusalem, about fifteen furlongs, or approximately two miles away. It says that many of the Jews came to Martha and to Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary sat still in the house. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. and who's, or excuse me, and whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die, believest thou this? Martha responded, she said unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. And when she had so said, she went her way and called Mary, her sister secretly, saying, The Master is come and calleth for thee. So Martha has come to Jesus. She's left. Mary. She had word that Jesus was approaching unto Bethany. So she goes out and she meets him there and she has this discourse. And we see the faithfulness of Martha in the Lord. She says first, she says, Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She had a faithfulness that was to the point of certainty that if Jesus had been there before Lazarus had died, if Jesus had been there five days ago, that Lazarus would still be alive because of her belief that Jesus could heal him. And so she had a certain faith. And she said that she had a certainty of that. And she said, but I know that even now, whatsoever you would ask of God, that God will give it to you. She saw in the midst of that despair, in the midst of her mourning and her grief and her loss of her brother, that she still knew even now that Jesus would be given whatever he would ask of the Father. Sure, her faith was still increased, wasn't it? And said, so Jesus said unto her, thy brother shall rise again. And Martha again displays her faithfulness. She said, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus responds and gives one of those great I am statements that are found in the book of John. When he says, I am the resurrection. And I am the life. He is revealing his is deity, he's real revealing that he is God when he says these things. And we know indeed that those who are born again in Christ Jesus, they find a newness to life, don't we? Isn't that what baptism exemplifies? That though we were dead in our trespasses and sin, that we've been raised to walk in the newness of life, Jesus is indeed the resurrection. And He displays that and He he states that clearly into Martha. And she is trying to reveal to her, yes, my resurrection is not just that at the last day that there would be the great resurrection of the saints of God, but that there is a resurrection that that awaits all those that place their faith and trust in Me. That there is a newness of life that He would provide. Do you believe that? Let me ask it a different way. Do you believe that even now? I love how Martha said that to the Lord. She said, even now. I think sometimes we are made to places where we have faith that sometimes it would be of such greatness that we stand to reason there is nothing that could shake or or displace us in our trust of the Lord yet the question is when it seems that the storm around us is too great will our faith still stand even now we see that in Martha Yet nevertheless, Jesus reveals to her that he is the resurrection and the life, that though he were dead, yet shall he live. And she says that she believes that he is the Christ, the son of the living God. She goes her way and she comes to Mary and she says that the master has come and calleth for thee. And in verse 29, it says, as soon as she heard that, she arose quickly. As soon as Mary heard that, she arose quickly and she came unto Jesus. It says, now Jesus was not yet come to the town, so he's still back where Martha had met him. And then Jews, which were with her in the house and comforted her, when they saw Mary that she rose up hastily or rose up quickly, they went out and they followed her, saying, she goes into the grave to weep there. So they see that, that Martha comes in and it's privately or, or secretly tells Martha, or so, excuse me, tells Mary that Jesus has called for her. And we see Mary get up, and those Jews that are with her, they believe she's going to the grave to mourn. But then we see Mary comes to Jesus and sees him and she falls down on his feet in verse 32 and says unto him, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. We see Mary's faithfulness. And when Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and he was troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? And they said unto him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. Then said the Jews behold how he loved him. And some of them said could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should not have died? In verse 38 said Jesus therefore again groaning in himself comes to the grave. It was a cave and a stone lay upon it. We see a, a, a anguish, a groaning that is taking place in Jesus. So much so that he is moved to tears and he is weeping and those jews that saw him weeping they stated that that they he was weeping they believed he was weeping because of his friend who had died now i want to ask you why was jesus weeping that's a question that many folks have have wondered about there was clearly some grief some remorse, some anguish that was happening that had moved him to tears and certainly we see in this that that we see that the personhood of Christ that he indeed is a man who was subject to like passions as we are, that he is indeed a high priest who has been faced with the same things in life that we had faced we know indeed that he is a man of sorrows and well acquainted with grief, we see the fulfillment of all that was described of Christ here in this short verse But the question remains, why was he weeping? Was he weeping because his friend had died? Jesus had came or knew six days earlier, four to six days earlier, depending on how you want to try to interpret that time period. He knew that that he was going to resurrect Lazarus. He knew that his death was only temporary. Remember, he said to his disciples, he's but asleep and I go to wake him up. I'm going to say something about that here in a minute. So why was Jesus weeping? There are various things that grieve us in life. We experience death of loved ones, and I'm sure all of you have probably experienced that. And indeed, we are met with great grief and mourning when we lose parents, when we lose children, when we lose brothers and sisters and grandparents and those that we hold fondly and dearly in our hearts and we're made to grieve and to mourn. And I want you to know, Scripture teaches us to grieve. Scripture teaches us to mourn. That it is right that we would do those things. And I, I want to say this, and I don't mean this by any harm of those who have held these services or been a part of these services in the past. This whole The, the concept of a celebration of life, that, that's, a, that's a new invention. Scripture teaches us about funerals, about a mourning over the death of a loved one that would be met with sackcloth and ashes and a grief. I've been to funerals here the last several years and uh, while we look at them and say it is good that there is much laughter and that there is joy and fondness of memories. I tell you, my friend, there needs to be periods of grieving and a mourning. Let me go so far to say this, and some of you might question this, that's okay. But I think one of the things that ails us as a society today as we see uh, mental issues and things on the rise is that we have been a society that is no longer well acquainted with grief. I was talking to someone last night who's gone through a lot of loss as well. Uh, his father has lost his father-in-law. Has uh, recently uh, seen the, uh, his girlfriend's parents that were tragic. His, his son's girlfriend's parents were tragically killed in a, in a car accident, and, and I've seen all these things that would cause them to grieve. And he said unto me, "He said, I haven't even had time to grieve. I thought how awful. We need to grieve, and I want you to know it's okay and it's good to grieve. And Scripture teaches us." Not just to grieve, but Scripture teaches us brothers and sisters to weep with those who weep. To mourn with those who are mourning and to grieve with those who are in grief. That we should be well acquainted with this. That when our brothers and our sisters are hurting, we go and we hurt alongside them. We see that here in this passage of Scripture, don't we? Here we see the Jews who came to comfort Mary and Martha in their grief. And in their hurt. And you might say, Derek, you're getting off, off course here a little bit. Maybe I am. But I I sincerely want to encourage you. When you are going through hard times that are times of, of grieving, it's okay to grieve. It's okay to cry and to be sorrowful. And when you feel like you are alone and that hurt is overwhelming you, may your brothers and your sisters surround you and weep with you and mourn with you and be present with you in the midst of your grief. We are meant to encourage and strengthen one another in doing that. And so Jesus, no doubt, He had an empathy and a compassion for Mary and for Martha. And He saw their sorrow. And no doubt, I don't know if you've ever been around that where you're made to be sorrowful as well. But certainly Jesus felt that. But I don't think His sorrowful, His weeping was just for that reason. I think there was probably a bit of a disappointment that Jesus felt. Here were all these people who believed that Jesus could have healed Lazarus and He would not have died. That they didn't know of the extent of the power of the Son of God. That He could bring back the dead to life. <laughs> Martha, in a moment, while she had just expressed her great faithfulness, in a moment she's going to express her great doubt. She's going to be the one who says to, to Jesus He's been dead for four days. What do you mean that you're going to have him to, to bring him back to life? While her faithfulness would be a one-time great, we see another time that it was failing. So I think there was probably a bit of spiritual sadness that Jesus felt for his disciples. Remember what he said to his disciples that he was glad that he hadn't been there that he could teach them or, or instruct them that their faith would increase let me ask you this have you ever felt spiritual disappointment i have felt spiritual disappointment in a couple of different ways maybe a few different ways i've been spiritually disappointed when i prayed and asked god for something and the answer has been no you ever been told no it's not a pleasant thing to be told no is it have doors slammed in your face opportunities that you really wanted, things that you really wanted to accomplish or to do, yet God has told you, no. Oh, that's a hard lesson to learn, and it's disappointing in the spirit. If you have children, you've understood this. When you've had to tell your children no, and there is part of you as a loving father, as a loving mother, that you want to give them the world, yet you know part of teaching them and raising them rightly is to tell them no and to teach them that disappointment and to help them to be able to work through it. And spiritually, sometimes we get that way. And spiritually, sometimes we also act as children when we get that way. You ever told your child no and seen what happens next? It's normally not pretty, is it? My third daughter, or my third child, second daughter, Eleanor, she really hates me and told no. And she'll throw a world class temper tantrum over being told no. Why? Because she's disappointed by our response. She believes that there has been some offense caused to her and as a result of that, she lets her emotions and her displeasure show. And sometimes what happens to us spiritually when we're disappointed, we might not throw outward emotional uh, temper tantrums, but we do inwardly towards the Lord, don't we? We say, God, why have you allowed this to happen? Or we'll outright say, God just doesn't hear me anymore. We'll see all of a sudden, People stop coming to church or stop praying or, or leading their family or those spiritual responsibilities get neglected in our spiritual disappointments. There are going to be times where spiritually, we are made to grieve at our disappointment. But well, I want you to know, in those moments, our faith is being put to the test. oftentimes that spiritual disappointment is but for a season. And ultimately what is meant is that that no wasn't a no at all, but it was a not yet. That no wasn't a no at all, but it was to help us to grow because God knew that there was something better for us that he had in store that was far better than what we were yearning for. So once again, it seems that in the midst of all this grief, what we are being met with is where is our faith? Other types of spiritual disappointment that we're met with is a spiritual disappointment in others. Have you ever been spiritually disappointed by somebody else? I have. I probably have spiritually disappointed you. Or you have had a higher expectation of something and I've let you down. It's hard sometimes when you see people struggle and you see in all their struggle and you just want to cry out to them and help them to see what the Lord is doing in the bigger picture that they can't see (laughs) and that's what Jesus was doing here Jesus saw the bigger picture that or that excuse me that Mary and that Martha couldn't see he saw the bigger picture that his disciples couldn't see Remember, they didn't want Him to go into Judea. They said that there's danger there. Remember, they've been trying to stone you and you want to go back there. But Jesus saw the bigger picture. And sometimes what happens is we get stuck in these moments of life and we lose sight of the bigger picture. We lose sight of God's bigger plan for us. And sometimes those bigger plans, they take us through valleys of sorrow and disappointment, but when our faith is made to increase by what we are made to recall by the workings of the hands of the Lord and what we're made to see even, even now of the working hands of the Lord, we are made to have our faith to grow even through those valleys of disappointment and anguish. And I've been spiritually disappointed in myself. You ever been spiritually disappointed in yourself? I think Paul was. Don't you? Remember, he said that those things that I would do, those are the things I don't do. And those things that I wouldn't do, those are the things that I do. And then he finally cried out and he said, Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of this death? Or from this body of death? You ever spiritually disappoint yourself? You say, it's been three days and I haven't prayed. I haven't picked up my scriptures in so long there's an inch thick of dust on them. I've not gone to visit the sick and the elderly and the afflicted. I've not gone to grieve with those who grieve or mourn with those who mourn. Have you ever been spiritually disappointed in yourself? Now, no doubt Jesus wasn't spiritually disappointed in himself, but As it relates to spiritual disappointment, I think that there are different types of spiritual disappointment that we are familiar with here in this life. And each time I pray that God would cry out to us, my son, my daughter, may your faith be made to increase and to grow by what I am showing you that even the valley of this disappointment, that there is something that awaits you that is far better. So Jesus no doubt had a disappointment that He felt, but I don't think that that was the reason why He was weeping either. You see, I don't think His weeping was necessarily about just this moment. About His empathy for the grief and the sorrow that His friends and loved ones felt. Nor do I think that it was of a disappointment alone because He knew of their faith and how it was wavering. But I think that it was... With that bigger picture in mind. Why do we grieve? Why do we mourn when we lose loved ones? Why are we so sorrowful? But it is that we know that we will never again see that dear loved one. That dear friend. That dear brother. That dear sister. Father. Mother. Sister. Brother. We will not see them again in this life. And it makes us very sorrowful. Death is a separation. That is what it means. And its its intent is that it is to be separated from life. To be separated from this body. To be separated from each other. So Jesus was mourning, no doubt, the actual full picture of death and of despair and of separation. (laughs) Yet, mind you... that Jesus coming into Bethany was ultimately to get to Calvary. (laughs) He had came to Bethany to resurrect Lazarus from the dead, yes, but He had came to Bethany that He might go to Calvary where He could be crucified on a cross, that He might bear the very judgment and wrath of God, that penalty of sin that is death, that He Himself might face it and defeat it and win victory over it once and for all. Here was Jesus, moved in compassion, not alone for a a moment of grief that people were feeling, not alone for a moment of disappointment that He may have been feeling, but here He was, weeping over the human condition. (laughs) Oh, how sorrowful! Oh, how wretched is the life that we live here! When we see the Old Testament... Teach us about it. That man is a few days and full of trouble. This life is but a vapor, and we will all stand in a final judgment. Why is it that men die? Why is it that people die? Why is that little babies die? Why is death upon us but as a consequence of sin? And so here was Jesus mourning the human condition. <laughs> on His way to defeat it. (laughs) Isn't that incredible? So Jesus, He witnesses the grave. The Scriptures don't say this, but it seems to maybe insinuate it a little bit because it says that it was a tomb and it says that there was a stone that was rolled over it. And I don't know if Jesus actually went up to it, that, that place or not, but I can just almost see Jesus going up and, and touching that stone and seeing how that grave had been sealed and how indeed Lazarus had been made to be separated from this life. Can't, can't you just about see that? And he's examining it and he's seeing it and he steps back and he tells them to roll a stone. Here in the midst of all this weeping and grieving, Jesus gives the instruction and command to roll the stone away. I'm I'm, I'm excited because I know what happens next. But can you imagine, I just want to put yourself there for a moment. Your anguish... You're sorrowful. Finally, the master has came. But you're saying, if you'd been here five days ago, Jesus, all everything would have been great. But you've tarried. And yes, we still believe that you're the Son of God. We still have the full confidence in what you're able to do. But our brother's really dead. And he's been dead for four days to such an extent that he's beginning to stink. And now he says to roll the stone away. Mary, the sister of him that was dead, verse 39, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead for four days. Jesus saith unto her, said I not unto thee, that if thou wouldest believe, thou should see the glory of God. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. And Jesus lifted up His eyes and said, Father, I thank Thee that Thou hast heard me. And I knew that Thou hearest me always, but because of the people which stand by I said it, that they all may believe that Thou hast sent me. Jesus, He lifts His eyes up to heaven and He prays unto the Father. And He says that I'm thankful that You hearest me. And I know that You hearest me always. Why was, why was He praying then? If He knows the Lord heard Him, always but we see what jesus was doing is he was revealing to all those jewish people that were around he was revealing indeed that he was the son of god because what was about to happen next could only be accomplished by the power of god and that's what happens It says, And when he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, and he said, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead, he came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound with a napkin. And Jesus said unto them, Loose him and let him go. (laughs) You imagine standing by in Mary and Martha's shoes, the stones rolled back. And the master cries out to the father then he cries out and he says Lazarus come forth and your brother that you were certain was dead has been awakened from his sleep and he comes out and he's covered in those grave clothes and they loose him and they let him go my friend today, I don't know what you're facing and I don't know what you're struggling, but I know this, that there are times where we are made to mourn and our faith is made to waver just as Martha's was. We're made to doubt, but all at once we see the stone roll away from the door and we hear the voice of the Lord. And He comforts us. And He's with us. And He does far beyond what we're able to ask or to think. My hope today is that your faith will be encouraged. That when it begins to waver, when you begin to wondering, God, it's been so long. You've wavered you waited so long, and it seems that things are past the course of repair. They're past the course where what I've waited on that you would come and that you would deliver. It's too late, and all hope is gone. Behold, we hear the Son of God say, Roll the stone away. <laughs> it comes. And he prays to the Father, and the Father heard him, and Lazarus came forth. Remember what I had earlier told you. There was something I wanted to say about this idea of sleeping. It seems that the Christians picked up on that. Now that was used in the early church to describe people that had passed away. Do you remember over in First Corinthians? I believe it's in chapter. 12, I think I have that right. I think mean, it's chapter 13. Where it's talking about those who have fallen asleep. It's talking about those who have died. Yet we see the, new, the early church using that same language as having fallen asleep. Why? Because they were certain, just as we are certain, that Jesus Christ is coming back. And when He comes back, those who are dead in Christ will be resurrected to meet Him in the air. So you see, though it is that we know that those that we have loved that have gone on to be with the Lord indeed have died and are separated from us in this life, yet they only sleep. Because on that great and terrible day of the Lord, on that last day, when that trump sounds, oh, I've, I've told you before, I hope I'm near a graveyard when it happens. But I can see all those saints bursting forth out of the grave all at once to be meeting with Christ in the air, resurrected and receiving their spiritual bodies where they live perfectly with the Lord for all eternity. Can't you picture that? Listen, I, I want I want you to know, I don't know all the ins and outs of how that's going to work. I've I've studied 1 Corinthians 15. I've studied the book of Revelation. I've tried to understand. I've studied 1 Thessalonians. I've tried to understand what this is going to look like. All I'm left to know is that one day we'll see Christ face to face. My friend, I don't know what you're going through. We sing that song sometimes that Jesus knows all about our problems. Knows all about our troubles. And He does. But not only does He know all about our troubles, but He knows all about our anguish and our disappointment and our despair. And when we have a Master so acquainted with grief as this, we can stand confident and convinced that our weeping that our mourning that our grief that our disappointment that it's only for a moment until that stone is rolled away until Lazarus comes forth until we see that that in whom we have believed the one in whom we're persuaded is able to keep that which we've committed unto him against that day until we see the fulfillment of that which has been promised. Isn't that what Jesus told Martha? He said, didn't I tell you that if you would wait, that you would see the glory of God? (laughs) I don't know if there was any shouting that took place when Lazarus came forth, but I stand to reason there must have been. I don't know what the people's response was when they were told to loose him to let him go. But I bet that they were made to wonder as they came up to Lazarus. And you, can you imagine the expression on their faces when that napkin was taken off of Lazarus' face? Can you imagine the expression on Lazarus' face? <laughs> Friend, I pray today that your faith will be increased. And that, got, and that where you're made to doubt, that God would help you to trust Him more. Finally, I want to encourage you in this way. Martha, her faith had wavered. But it doesn't seem to me that God or that Jesus held against her, her wavering faith. But instead, He held up her faith when it was first strong. And there's something that I found about the Lord is that it seems that He always holds me to the esteem of my best moments, and not to the disappointment of my worst moments. And I'm sure glad that that's the case. Because there's times where I failed the Lord to such a degree that it seems that He would be completely justified to never have any dealings with me ever again. Nevertheless, He continues to treat me and to love me as His own near son. Just as He will love you as His own dear son His own dear daughter. I guess the account of the prodigal son is true, isn't it? That though from time to time we would be that erring child who goes astray, yet time and time again, God has proved Himself not just willing but able to restore us to that right fellowship with Him. My friend today who is mourning, too, who is grieving, who's disappointed, <clears throat> whose faith is wavering. I pray that God would help you to see those stones that have been rolled away that your faith be made to increase. May God bless you in your heart.